Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. Well, we left off last week at a very precarious position for the family. Very precarious. When last we were on the epic narrative. I know there was a long pause. I was like, uh, do I say epic narrative or Genesis 27? So we're going to go in Genesis chapter 7, 27, which is where we left off. We left off right on verse 41. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. In other words, dad's going to die soon. Then huh, I will kill my brother Jacob. There you go. Then I win in the end. I will win in the end. This is uh, this is kind of the typical uh, mentality, right, of somebody who lives in the moment. I will make a decision. I will fix the problem. Problems, problem solved. Boom. Decision made. Boom. Even if I misread things or you know wasn't paying it, doesn't matter. I made a decision. This is a man who is in charge. This is a man who knows how to make things happen. This is a man who, honestly, kind of, uh, not kind of, but some people, you know, draw his mindset all the way back to uh, Cain. Back, you know, when, when Cain and, and Abel brought their sacrifices and, and Cain was kind of like, fine, God accepts you, not me. If I take you out of the way, God will accept me. Jacob's, uh, Esau's thinking similarly. Fine, you tricked dad into giving you the blessing that I was supposed to get, that I'd been, been planning on getting. And somehow he also blamed Jacob for stealing the birthright, which of course Esau gave it to him. But, you know, as I've often said, when you're bitter, facts really don't matter. You just like, don't, don't interrupt my bitterness <laughs> with the facts. I've got evidence that proves <laughs> and justifies my belief that this person wronged me. And that will continue, you know, in Esau's life. So, he makes this declaration. Again, no sign of repentance, no sign of submission, no sign of honor to his father saying, all right, you know, you blessed him. You, we got tricked into it. I get it, but I'm going to stand by it. I will honor, you know, the, the will of my father, the desire of my father. Because Jacob responded. You remember Jacob responded when Esau was like, you know, what What happened? He basically said, well, I blessed him and he will be blessed. I'm not going to take back what I did. I'm going to honor what happened because even though it happened through deceit, it happened. And I'm not going to try and reverse that. I've been trying to to pretend that what God, pre you know, presented to your mother wasn't going to really be true or that I had a position, you know, with God that would allow me to change what God wanted. I should have honored what God wanted from the beginning. I didn't. So what I did, I did, and the blessing is going to stand. I'm not reversing the cur uh, the blessing. And in all of the, in all, you know, that's all contained in that verse, all contained in the repentance of, of Isaac. And, and Esau does not buy any of it. His response is, I'm going to kill my brother. I just have to wait for dad to die. At some level, <laughs> he's like, I respect my father enough to not kill his son while he's still alive. I'll wait for him to die. But he says it loud enough that, again, mother is close enough. She's probably in that, like, a, that's why I think she's in the same area of the tent taking care of uh, Isaac. She hears the declaration. This is all happening around the same dinner. 
And again, dinners don't happen that quickly in this culture. And of course, Jacob's already, uh, uh, sorry, Isaac's already eaten. So he's he's sitting there and he's having this discussion with his son. His son is emotionally just distraught because his plans for worldwide domination have come to a crashing halt. And he doesn't know what to do. And he's looking for his father for wisdom. And his father's giving him wisdom through the response that his father's having, the repentance and the honor of the word that was given. And Esau isn't buying it. He doesn't want it. And so he makes this declaration. And I believe he makes it loud enough that people heard it because it says in the next verse, verse 42, when Rebekah was told what her older son Esau had said. So I think that whatever he said, I think Isaac heard it as well. And maybe Isaac's the one who told Rebecca. We don't we don't have a record of that. Somebody went to Rebecca and said, "You're uh, sorry." She's back up, Bob. Verse forty-one. Sorry, I was I was. Uh, it's it's uh, sorry. Let me just give you a little insight. Okay, so I I put all the scripture up on the wall in front of me that I'm going to deal with. So when when one verse pretty much repeats the other verse. That's when I get tripped up sometimes because I look at it and it's like, no, that's not the phrasing I'm looking for. So when Rebecca was told what her older son Esau had said, she sent for her younger son, Jacob. So who told Rebecca? Part of me could totally see Isaac saying it. I think Esau leaves. He's clearly upset. Rebecca hears all the anger, the angst, the disappointment, the tears. She knows that what she did, you know, caused quite a ruckus. She knew it was going to cause a ruckus, but she she was like, I'll deal with the consequences. Jacob knew this was going to cause a ruckus. She's like, I will let the curses fall on me. Don't worry about it. I'll cover all the blame. I'll take all the curses. This needs to happen. Bad, you know, that was bad on her part as far as the deception goes. But that's why I think she was probably paying attention. She knew Esau was upset. She didn't hear what he said, but somebody did. And if it wasn't Isaac, it was somebody who was close to the situation, the two of them. Because they go to uh, Rebecca and say, your son is going to kill Jacob when when Isaac uh, dies. So she calls Jacob. Listen, your brother Esau is planning to avenge you, avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Hmm. She's come up with this plan before. If you remember the beginning of uh, chapter 27, where she said, now do what I say and do it quickly. Run into the field and get two goats. Here she is again. Do what I say. Why is that phrase in there? I think it lends to a insight into the type of mothering that Rebecca was known for. She was a woman in control. I don't, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to go into the whole, like, she needed to be submissive to the man in the house because he's the man of the house and, and he's the head of the household and that's God's plan. No, she was, she was a, a wise woman. She was a decisive woman. Part of me thinks that Esau mirrored, mirrored, uh, uh, represented his mother in that way. I think they both could make decisive decisions quickly. And they both dealt with the ramifications of of those decisions afterwards. They didn't necessarily put a whole lot of thought into the long-term results of the choices they were making. 
It's kind of interesting to me that she favored Jacob, but I think Jacob favored her, his father when it came to decision-making processes. He looked at the long-term impact of his of his choices. Rachel, uh, Rebecca, Rebecca did not. Fascinating to me how how children are so much like their parents. We see it. We have four kids, and there are times, honestly, we I just I shake my head. It's not like I'm in any way embarrassed by it, but I think, wow, that that child. That is like, that is me. Crazy to me. Fascinating to me. I think that they saw it too. And I wonder sometimes if, if while Rebecca's watching Esau, she's thinking like part of the reason why she doesn't like what Esau does is because Esau looks like her. How many times has that happened, right? You see yourself mirrored in your children and you think, no, that is not who I am. <laughs> Anyways, have fun with that in your imagination. That's what I'm seeing here. She she pulls Jacob in. Do what I say. Flee at once to, to my brother Laban. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother's no longer anger, angry with you and forgets what you did to him, yeah, that's going to happen. Bitterness always just lets it go. I'll send word for you to come back uh, from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? Now, Rebecca said to Isaac, I'm disgusted with the with living because of these Hittite women. If Jacob takes a wife from among the women of this land from a Hittite woman like these, my life will not be worth living. Oh, the drama. So this is kind of a bing bang deal. It, it probably takes place within a two-day period. I don't think that this took place within minutes after after dinner. I think dinner happened with Jacob and, and uh, Isaac, and then Esau comes in, and that whole situation happens. And I picture Esau kind of stumbling out of the tent. It's late at night. He goes to his tent. He crashes down. Somebody goes into Rebe uh, Rebecca's area and says, just so you know, Esau has made a promise to kill Jacob when Isaac dies. Now, maybe Isaac tells her. Like I said, I don't know who, who gets the information to Rebecca, but she's thinking, all right, I need to talk to Jacob. I need a plan. She comes up with a plan. The plan is, I need to send him away. Okay, I can't send him away forever because that's not going to work. And if I tell him he's never coming back home, He'll never leave because I know he loves this place and he just got the blessing and he loves me and he loves, you know, all that's going on. I can't do that. Okay, I'm just going to send him to my brother um, for a little while. Just a little while. He'll take care of him. He'll be around my family. Uh, everything should be fine. Now, there is some urgency to the fact that he get out of the way because even though Esau promises to kill Jacob, when Isaac dies, remember, Isaac thinks he's dying any moment now. So Jacob comes in and she says, listen, your brother's really upset. And Jacob, I'm sure, is nervous. He probably knows his brother's upset. I don't know many people who are really upset that, that don't at some level communicate that to everybody that they run into. Whether it's through facial expression or through the words that they say, you usually can tell when somebody's upset, like visually you can tell it. So I have a feeling there were there were servants and there were shepherds and there were people that had run into Esau the night before that were like, oh, ho, 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 that dude is on fire. So the mother pulls him in. 
your brother, you, you need, you need to, you need to run away. Do what I tell you to do. You need to go see my brother, Laban, in Haran. I know it's, a, I know it's a long journey, but go. You're not going to be there forever. I just, I know your brother's upset, and he, and he said he'd kill you when your father dies. But I, yeah, I don't trust it. He could lose his mind today. Like we don't know what, what attitude he's going to wake up with. And when, listen, when your brother's really no longer angry and forgets what you did to him, <laughs> I think it's awesome that she she lays this on Jacob. When he forgets what you did to him, remember, she told Jacob, do what I tell you. Go out to the field, get the goats, put on your brother's clothes, tape, I don't know, high, high, glue, tape. How do you get the, the goat's hair to stick on the back of your hands and the back of your neck? I don't know. Anyway, she had a plan. It was all her plan. She's like, yeah, when your brother forgets what you did, then I'll send for you and you'll come back. Like, why should you both, why should I lose both of you one day? And by both of you, she means why should your father die and then you die in the same day? Let's spread the, let's spread the funerals out. And let's, uh, let's, you know, take, take the irritant out of the visual uh, range of your brother Esau, because we know how he is. He could just get angry. We could be at dinner one night and uh, you bring up some silly story and he just decides, no, I'm killing him now. <laughs> Anyways, she's, she's at some level has some wisdom, right? She understands how her, how her son operates Esau Probably because she operates the same way. Once again, I see reflections of Esau in Rebecca, and I have a feeling that's what she doesn't like. So her thought process is, what would I do? I'd lose my mind. Bad things would happen. I need to send Jacob away. Jacob's the one with the blessing. Jacob's the one with the birthright. Jacob's the one that's going to keep this family going. I need to send him away for at least, she's probably thinking a couple weeks. It'll take him a couple days to get there. He can hang out for a couple weeks, maybe a month. Esau will get distracted with other things like he always does. And then we can move on. Nice. All right. So, chapter 28. Isaac calls for Jacob and blesses him. Then he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Pada Aram, to the house of your mother's father, Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there, from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you, make you fruitful, and increase your numbers until you become a community of people. May he give you and your descendants the blessings given to Abraham, so that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way, and he went to Padamaram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, to Armenian, the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. So here we see Isaac blesses Jacob. Now, I do think that this probably takes, back, takes place the morning after, and I get a sense that Esau is upset Esau doesn't want to deal with life. Esau is staying in his tent. Esau grabbed his bow and went for a walk. Esau needs to process what just happened. In essence, the night before. 
So he gets up, he disappears. Isaac calls in Jacob and Isaac blesses Jacob. And and remember, now this time he's not being tricked into it. This again, I think, points to the repentance, the new perspective that Jacob has, uh, that who has Isaac has on Jacob. He's like, this is my son. This is the son that carries the birthright. This is the son that carries the blessing. This is the son through whom the covenant is going to be propelled. I need to reiterate that. I need to speak life over that. I need to let him know that I am for him, not against him. That even though I've played favorites my whole life with Esau, even though I pictured Esau running the family and heading in the right direction, clearly that's not going to happen at this point. And I need to bless my son. And he does. And I think it's awesome. This is a beautiful picture of who Isaac is, his ability to make that adjustment. And it includes the blessing of Abraham. He reminds him of the blessing of Abraham and the fact that this, you know, that this, uh, that his blessing, Isaac's blessing, it was going to now include all the blessings of Abraham, that that Jacob's children would inherit this land, possess this land, once again, not through military force. And then it comes with a submission. I think the whole the whole blessing and the interaction he has with that Isaac has with Jacob, I think comes with a submission to the idea of who God is and, and God's goodness for the family. So, so Jacob leaves for Padamaram. I, I like that name. I actually don't know how to say it the way it should be said. I just like the way it's spelled. It just sounds like something from the uh, from the movie The Mummy. Yeah, not not the one with Tom Cruise. The uh, the one the old ones with uh, Brandon Fraser. It just sounds like something they would say. So he goes to find a find a wife there. All right. So he's looking in essence for a good culture. Good connection, good upbringing. It's where his mother came from, and even though the mother, remember, she came from a from a land of you know from a culture of idols and idol worship, it you know she turned out all right. She's a good woman. She's a wise woman. She's run this family for for a while. She takes good care of uh, of Isaac. She's industrious. She's she's uh, uh, I was gonna say hardworking, and I was like, and my brain's like, no, Bob, that's the same word. So she's she's all the uh, back in the episode. Remember when she was found? She was a woman of, of hospitality, a woman of charity, a woman of of hard work, a woman of honor, a woman of good character. These are all the things that. Eliezer or Eliezer saw in her when she watered the camels as he watched her go back and forth and she was gorgeous. So going back to the the you know his mother's brother to find a, one of his daughters to marry makes sense that the same sort of culture that the mother grew up in would be in the brother's life as well and that those daughters would also have those same characteristics. Even if they are idol worshipers, there's a characteristic here, there's a culture here that they're looking for to bring into the family, as opposed to the Hittite women. If you remember the last verse of of chapter 27, she's like, Jacob, if this son of ours, Jacob, uh, Jacob, sorry, she goes in to see Isaac. Isaac, if this son of ours, Jacob, marries a woman, anything close to, to the two women that Esau's married, I'm I'm gonna die. 
I'm just, and I know it's dramatic to say that, but I am. Isaac, I, I, I can't, I can't take any more Hittite women in this, in this compound. Now, I don't know what Hittite women were like. I don't know why they bothered Rebecca so much. I don't know if there was a, if there was a pride thing, like they came, you know, uh, I don't, oh, Bob, don't do ethnic illustrations. Well, I, I don't know how else to do it. This was an ethnic thing. There are, there are cultural understandings of honor and respect that differ from one culture to another. Nah, that's it. I don't actually need to name the culture, but but you can imagine, right? Let's say that you come from a culture where people yell all the time, but there's no, quote, disrespect meant by it. They they just yell. And, and you come up from a family that shows honor through being uh, quiet in your in your speech so that you don't yell. And oftentimes, you know, not often, but I've I've heard of these stories where one, you know, starts dating the other and they laugh about what their families are like, but then you introduce them to the family and they, you know, the quiet one sits there in awe because they keep waiting for somebody to get shot because everybody's yelling at each other. It's so loud in the house. Trust me, I had four children. Our lives were loud. There's there's a level of noise that just constantly was happening in our house. We used to joke that like if somebody invited us over for dinner, it was like, okay, we're, we're like a we're like a horde. Like you don't just invite us over for dinner and it's just, it's gonna get loud. Like we have four children and there's two, like there's six of us. We show up, you know, in a van because the van is full. Not because we wanted space for everybody, you know, to have several seats to lounge on. Like it's full. Anyways. I picture that, like these Hittite women come from a culture that irritates Rebecca all the time. The way that they cook, the seasonings they use, the way that they yell or the way that they they gossip, the things that they say, the, the nicknames they give people. Like once you're irritated with somebody, it doesn't matter what they do at that point, you're constantly going to be irritated. It's the way bitterness works. So she's constantly irritated by these Hittite women. And she's like, honestly, Jacob or Isaac, our son needs to leave. So maybe Isaac understands you're right because you know I know what Esau said. Maybe it's it's implied already because they've already had the discussion that when I die, Esau might take a swing at Jacob. But she uses the the excuse that I can't stand these women and I don't want another one in this compound. And Isaac goes along with it, but the blessing that he pours out on Jacob, for me, indicates that, she, that he is in full agreement with the plan here. Not just the fact that he leave, but the fact that God's going to bless him. And I do know that people use this as, as uh, I don't know, they use it as an opportunity to manipulate people's behavior and, and make uh, Isaac look like, you know, like he's just getting rid of the son he doesn't like. But I, I see a lot of repentance in Jacob's uh, in Isaac's behavior. So Isaac sends him on his way, and Jacob leaves. And it does indicate the fact that there's no wealth that goes with Jacob. Verse 25, then Isaac sent Jacob on his way, and he went. There's just no, like, 
loading up the camels. There's no caravan. There's no take. If you remember, when when uh, Eliezer went to find Isaac's wife, he left with 10 camels full of stuff to give, a, a huge dowry. Uh, Jacob doesn't leave with any of that, and he's going to find a wife. Now, maybe... Maybe at this point, the family all knows how wealthy they are. Remember, maybe, I mean, potentially, Abraham had to send all that all that money and, and goods with Eliezer because no one really knew how, how Abraham was doing. There was rumors, but no one knew. When he showed, when Eliezer shows up with all those camels, it was then that Laban and his brother and his father, Bethuel, were like, whoa, this guy is really wealthy. Maybe we can get him to come back. Maybe we can extend the stay. Maybe we can have Isaac come with 10 more camels and we can really increase our wealth. So Jacob leaves with, with pretty much nothing and he goes on his way. And then it says in verse eight, Esau then realized... <laughs> <laughs> when did he realize? He realized when they when he found out that that Jacob had been sent to go find a woman to marry from the family, he realized how irritating his wives were to his father Isaac because he he always knew that his wives were irritating to his mom, but he didn't really care. He knew he was dad's favorite, everything was going to be fine. Everything's fine, honey. Don't worry about what my mother said. My father loves me. Everything's good. Everything's good. Well, when he finds out that that not only did, did Isaac, you know, allow Jacob to leave, but he blessed uh, Jacob, he called, in essence, called down more blessing upon him, renewed the covenant of Abraham with him, he realized that, wow, my dad doesn't like my wives either. Hmm, how can I remedy this? How can I make things right? How can I get you know a wife from the family that might ease some of this tension that's in the home right now? So he goes, uh, he doesn't get rid of anybody. <laughs> he keeps those two and he goes off for another. And it says uh, verse 20 verse 9. So he went to Ishmael and married Mahalath the sister of Neoboth, the daughter of Ishmael, son of Abraham, in addition to the wives he already had. So he goes basically to a close family line, like literally the family line of Abraham. Not the family line of, of his mother. He goes to the family line of his father. Father, you know, father of Isaac was Abraham. Father of Ishmael was Abraham. He goes and he finds this, this connection. Now, again, this verse probably took three to four months to make arrangements. He had to go down. He had to make arrangements with the father. He probably met the girl. They had to go back, just to, you know, discuss the dowry. He went back down with more dowry. He had to announce it to his Hittite wife, said, hey, got to take in another woman. You girls all get along. And he brings in another wife. It's kind of fascinating to me. I think that there's there's some sense of of uh, I don't want to say making things right, but I think he's trying to smooth things over with his dad. I think probably uh, uh, he had heard that word got out that he was going to kill Jacob when his father died, and and 
and he's thinking, well, I probably, you know, maybe I, I overstepped on my desire. Maybe I, uh, I might have been speaking out of out of some anger. I was. Uh, what do people say? I was being emotional. That that to me is such a cop out, right? Well, what emotions were you feeling? Oh, all of them. Yeah, that's not true either. Like I was emotional. People who don't want to identify their emotions, like they paint with those kind of broad brushes. Oh, uh, let's see. I was sad, glad, or mad. Um, let me pick one of the three. Now, all those are emotions. I'm not denying that, but there are way more. And if you can't identify them, then you're not going to communicate well. So I think Esau was looking at this going, wow, I, I, I might have made myself a pile of poop on this. And once again, his approach is make a decision, deal with the ramifications. And so he made a decision to threaten his, his brother's life when dad died. And now he's dealing with the ramifications, which is now dad's on Jacob's side. Dad's blessed Jacob without being tricked into it. Dad sent Jacob to go find uh, a wife from one of our relatives. Maybe I can fix things by going to even a closer relative, a relative of my dad from our grandfather, Abraham, and everything will be smoothed over. That's what I think is all contained in verse 9. So in verse 10, it says, Jacob left for Beersheba. We already kind of dealt with that earlier. He set off for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and laid down to sleep. He had, made, he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on earth and on its top reaching into heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending upon it. And there, uh, there above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham uh, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and they will spread out from the west to the east and the north and the south, and all the people of the world will be blessed through you and your offspring. And I am with you, and I will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until you have done what I have promised you. And when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place. I love that. <laughs> it's one of those verses where I think, you think? You think God might have been there? I think this is such a beautiful, a beautiful uh, story. And I I don't want to even pretend to cover the, the breadth of all that goes on here. But in the general epic narrative mindset here, he's on his way. He's alone. Fascinating, right? He's, he's He doesn't have a, a caravan with him. He doesn't have... Uh, you know, uh, an armed guards with him. He doesn't have even a whole lot of wealth with him. And he goes, uh, you know, and he, it says he sleeps alone. He found a certain place. He stopped for the night because the sun had set. Now, some would say he was by the city because the sun had set, the gate was closed. He wasn't going to be able to get in the city anyways. Maybe he was running a little late. Some believe that he slept alone because he was afraid that his brother Esau was chasing him down with a, with a bow and an arrow, and, and in any given moment, he could be killed. There's probably some truth to that. He probably did wonder, is Esau you know, chasing me down? But remember, Esau's plan was to kill him when Isaac died. And he probably, you know, when Jacob left, he probably knew Isaac wasn't dead yet. But that doesn't mean he wasn't afraid. It doesn't mean he wasn't concerned about what his brother might do. Trust me, I, you know, I've been there. 
not okay. My brother never. I didn't. I didn't have a brother to chase me down with a sword, but or or a bow and arrow. But there's times that you start to you know get a little paranoid. Look over your shoulder. Think, wait, are they following me? You know, I really made that person angry. I didn't mean to. Or in this case, maybe Jacob's thinking he. I did. Like I. I lied to Dad. Dad said, "Are you? Who are you?" And I said, "I am Esau, your firstborn." Dad said, let me touch you. And I let him touch me. And, you know, I lied. Like, goat skin, that's deception. I was wearing my brother's clothes, so I'd smell like him. I, I brought food that was, you know, that would taste like him. Like, I was part of the problem. And Esau definitely, definitely has a right to not be happy with me. So all of that's going on. And and so, yes, he might have been a, a little afraid. He might have been a lot of afraid. A lot of, a lot of afraid is that that's not bob's just shaking his head like no bob that's not correct i know i know he he could have he could have had a lot of fear within him but it, either way he's sleeping alone now it says you know he put a rock under his head and and went to sleep i, I you know when i was little in sunday school and we you know colored the picture the rock was always like perfectly round shaped uh version it was like a rock version of a pillow and we, we would wonder, like, how do you sleep on a rock? You don't know how tired you have to be to sleep on a rock. Can you imagine having a rock instead of a pillow in your bed? Just, you know, and Sunday school teachers had fun with it. But, you know, sometimes we don't really think about it after that. We just assume we know the story. But making a bed out of rocks is not, uh, is not unusual, uh, especially in that culture. That was something you learned as a child. It was kind of like camping out. You you. You made a bed on the ground and you would find the, the right type of rock that would allow you to rest your head in a comfortable manner so you could go to sleep. So this is not, to me, it's, you know, it's, it just means he didn't have the resources. That's what it indicates. He didn't leave with a, with a caravan of, of convenience. He didn't leave with a tent and a, and a, a bunch of rugs and, and furs to sleep on and servants to help set it up. He was alone. This is, this is scary. It's scary being alone in, in the desert. You don't know who's coming. You, you don't. He might not have been that afraid of Esau, but he knows that there's all kinds of bad things that can happen to it, a lonely traveler in the wilderness. I don't like being alone anywhere in the wilderness, even in the daylight. My imagination just way too big. People are like, are you afraid of the dark? No, I'm afraid of what I think about in the dark. I can be in a dark place and everything within my brain says you're safe. And everything in my imagination is like, but what if? I can, Honestly, I got lists of stories I can tell you about my life where I was riding a bike or walking home and it was dark. And I know the path and I know the way and I know everything is fine. And yet I've come to complete stop, a complete stop out of fear of what might be there. So I am like totally okay with what Jacob's doing here. And the fact that he was able to go to sleep, I say, God bless him. And he had a dream and he saw a stairway resting on the earth and the top of it was reaching into heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending and and I do understand that there's something significant to the fact that the angels start at the bottom and ascend to the top. And they're communicating what? They're saying, listen, God is with you. And, and messengers, servants of God are here taking your, your, desi your desires, your 
fears, your anxiety, your your worries, your requests. We're here. We're taking them up to God all the time. We are not. We are ascending and descending. We're bringing the the answers of God down. We're bringing the blessings of God down. We're bringing the the directions of God down. This is what we do. And we are with you all the time. This is a picture that God is giving to Jacob to let him know you are not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. God always shows up. His goodness always is there. He makes sure that that uh, Jacob you know, gets this incredibly powerful picture of what is around him all the time. And God reaches out and speaks to him with even more blessings. He reminds him of the blessings of, of Abraham. And he says, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and spread out northeast, south, and north, north, south, east, and west. All the people of the earth will be blessed by your offspring. You are going to have this land that I've, I've promised you because there's going to be so many of you. You will fill this land. You will, you will dominate the culture. You will, you will take over and bless the nations of the world because of who you are and what I carry. This is me talking. And when he's all done talking to him, Jacob wakes up and he's like, the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. Hey, I know that feeling. You ever been in a place and everyone seems to know that God's there but you? And they're all responding to God in whatever ways that they're going to respond to God. And, and maybe even the speaker up front's like, you know, the Lord is in this place. And you're thinking, I don't, I know, I'm not feeling it. I don't, I don't know what they're talking about. Now, I've been in all kinds of churches. I've been from ultra-conservative, fundamentalist, right-wing, conservative Baptist people. I've been all the way to, like, crazy, amazing, charismatic, Pentecostal church. I've been, I've been to them all. And, and people... People interact with the presence of God in different ways. So it doesn't matter how you, how people might react to it. You might be sitting there going, I don't, I'm not feeling it. Just not there for me today. And what God is showing him is, is, hey, when you don't know I'm here, I'm here. You don't have to be aware of it. This is what's going on. You want to be aware of it? That's fine. Get into the frequency of heaven and you will sense the movement of angels up and down up and down, up and down. I am always with you. Understanding the frequency of creation is what puts you, makes you aware of what God's doing in creation. So it says he was afraid. How awesome is this place? He was in awe of what just happened. There's, there is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Early in the morning, Jacob took up the stone he had placed on his head and he set it up as a pillar. In other words, there's, uh, it's, it's just a stone. He sets it up on a pillar and he pours oil on it. He he responds to the presence of God, and he called the place Bethel, and he and it because uh, it well the city nearby he called it Bethel. It used to be called Luz, but no, it's not like anybody knew. It's not like he took out a new deed. It's not like he bought the place. He called it Bethel. He called it a place of God's arrival. For if God is with me and will watch over me in this journey I'm taking I w- and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so I return safely to my father's household, and then the Lord will be my God. And the stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. So Jacob's response to the presence of God is to bless God 
is to create an altar and then bless the land where he where he saw it by call, giving it a new name, a new identity. He calls forth a new identity to that area. And the joy and the peace and the provision of God and the response that he has out of that is, everything I have, God, I'm going to give you back some. Not that God needed it. God didn't request it. God didn't, there, this wasn't a rule. This was a response of Jacob's heart in, in as, as he interacted with the frequency of heaven, as he interacted with, with the presence of God, as he saw that the angels were there and they are always there, whether he knew it or not, they are always there. And his response was, I'm going to set up an altar. I'm going to make a vow. I'm going to come back to this place. It, when God fulfills his promises, I'm coming back here. This is the place. And from this place all around it, you know, my descendants are going to be. And we will always know that this is the place where God shows up. And everything I get, God, I'm going to give you 10%. Now, I don't know where he's going to give 10%. It's not like he could take it down to the church and put it in the offering. It's not like there was a temple somewhere that he could bring it and give it to the priest. What's he going to do with the 10%? Well, I think logistically what that means is I'm not not I'm not going to put it into the trade market. There will always be a portion that's going to be set aside for God. And whatever I sense you want me to do with it is what I'm going to do with it. Now that's that's an awesome thing. It's awesome because it's in response to an awareness of God's presence. It's in response to an awareness of God's blessing. It's in response to an awareness of, of revelation from God as to what he's doing and, and how he's working around you. And anybody who understands that, anybody who comes into contact with God's presence, anybody who does find that frequency, you tend to respond in a physical manner. And sometimes in worship, it may mean that you close your eyes. It may mean that you sit down or you lay down or you raise your hands or you dance or you laugh. So many times in worship, I find I just end up smiling, looking at, I just, the joy of the Lord hits me. But I, I just, I love this story. There's a lot of stuff to draw from it. But in the grand scheme of things, what we see is that Esau, in his own, own way, is trying to make amends. But he gets to stay. Jacob has to leave, but Jacob gets this incredible encounter with God. And we'll see later, right? Esau stays. He stays where the family is. He, he in essence, becomes the firstborn with the firstborn rights and the blessings because he has to run everything while Jacob is gone. And as we'll see next week, the trip home could take a while. Thanks for stopping here, ladies and gentlemen. I'll see you on the Epic Narrative. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Bob Thoughts. I, uh, I, I like this episode. To me, this episode uh, just carries with it a lot of visual imagination and emotional imagination, especially for the trip 
of the uh, of of Jacob headed out to find a wife, empty-handed, like the the loneliness that he had to be feeling at the time of the of the climbing of Jacob's ladder. Right, remember that old song? <laughs> that was such an old song. Climb, climb up Jacob's ladder. Something like that. Anyway, <laughs> I probably butchered that, but. Just it's just so many relational dynamics uh, going on, and even even at the end, you know, when e I think Esau realizing that his father had come into alignment with um, with God's original plan, and trying to somehow kind of smooth things over by marrying a relative of Abraham, you know, down Abraham's line. I just think all of that layers in this this family that is struggling to figure out life uh, under the promise uh, that God had had presented and under the covenant that they were a part of. Now, covenants are unique because covenants involve two parties that are moving toward the toward a higher purpose. It's not a contract where both parties are kind of working out details and, and contracts by design are always looking for a negative. Easily uh, illustrated like in the, in the NFL or any sports, right? Somebody signs a contract, but then they're immediately starting to look for ways that they can renegotiate the contract to become even wealthier. Now, on both parties, right? Both the, the owners and, and the player. And a lot of people approach so many things that, uh, relationally as more like a contract, uh, even in marriage. They see it, they're just seeing the negative all the time. But a covenant was designed for two people uh, that, that are pursuing a higher purpose together. And that purpose remains the focus which brings the two people together. And what God says when, when he renews, well, when, sorry, when Isaac renews the covenant of Abraham with Jacob before Jacob leaves. He's saying, listen, God is pursuing a higher purpose for us and our family. And we, we clearly don't get it right all the time. Isaac, I think, really was repentant. I think he was very much in a place of like, I, I, I was messing with this. I really wanted, you know, one thing that clearly wasn't in the covenant. And it wasn't of the higher purpose. So I messed up. But you have the opportunity to redeem it. And he sends Jacob off, and poor Jacob, he's headed off with nothing. I mean, nothing that indicates that he's part of this incredible covenant, this wealth, this, the, the riches of the, of the nations that his, his line is supposed to carry. And it had to be very, very dis, disorienting, uh, frustrating, uh, scary for him to be out there in the wilderness wondering what is going on. And that, that sign that the Lord gives him, that vision of the, of the ladder, had to be so encouraging to him on so many levels. And yet, this is the part that, that, that I relate to, right? He sits there and he, he still has nothing in the end. He's got nothing. Like the, the dreams, the vision's over, the dream's over, however you want to word it. And, and he sits there and he still has nothing. Like when he wakes up in the morning... Still alone, still headed toward Laban's house, still with no real concept as to how he's going to afford anything when he gets there. He's totally dependent 
on the hospitality of his of his host, which you know we'll find out how hospitable that host is in a, you know in the coming episodes. But it's uh, fascinating to me that as far as God's concerned, it's a done deal, even though physically he can't see it yet. And I relate to that somewhat right now uh, in my personal walk. At the time of this journey, uh, at the time of this recording, you know, uh, we don't have any visible means of income. We're still out on the road, still looking and searching for whatever God has for us to do next, really believing, and, and we believe he's confirmed it a number of times, it is coming. And so we wait. And it is a little frustrating, and it's a little scary, and it uh, gives opportunity for, you know, uh, the questioning. Like, did, am I hearing this right? Did I do the right thing? Did I, am, I, am I crazy? And the answer is always like, no, God is good. And we can trust him. And that's really what Jacob was being asked to do. God was saying, listen, I'm good. I'm here with you, and you can trust me. It's an awesome position to be in as scary and as frustrating and as lonely as it might feel in the real it's a beautiful place to be with be in and and you can trust him and we will see as the story continues that god is trustworthy and the best and brightest stuff is coming for jacob and for the and for the coming nation that jacob will father anyways have yourself a great day everyone thanks for hanging out everyone thanks for listening if you like what you heard you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use you can also reach out to bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com see you next week guys